0: But um, really just, again, we, we planned four of these in the year, man up one, two, three, and four, uh, purely because God is speaking to us about getting hold of men's hearts. And uh, so this is another iteration in that process. And um, I'm really, really praying. I'm going sp- to speak this morning. I'm going to use the context of marriage to talk about how men function. But if you're not married... Please don't switch off. Please, please understand this is you. This is you preparing for marriage, but this is you as a man in the role that you're meant to play. I want to say that up front. But um, last, uh, post our previous man up time is uh, I found these stats and I wanted to give them to you. If a mother is the first to come become a Christian there's a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will follow but if the father is first there's a 93% probability that the household will follow a different set of data if a father goes does not go to church even if his wife does 2% of the children become regular worshippers If a father goes regularly regardless of what the mother does, regardless of what the mom does, 66, between 66 and 75 percent of the time the children will become followers of Jesus. If a father attends church irregularly, 50 to 60 percent chance that the children will become Jesus followers. Friends, the reason why I'm telling us this is because the role that we have to play as as fathers and as men is a massive role. The world is in a state because men are in a state. And so part of what God, I think, is doing is He's trying to get hold of men's hearts so that we can become the men that God created us to be so that the kingdom can become what God intended it to be. And uh, Pope John Paul II said this, as the family goes, so goes the nation and so goes the world in which we live. As the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. Pope John Paul II said that. I want to add this to that. As the fathers go, so goes the family. As the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world. What we have to do as men, friends, the the role that we have to play as men, as fathers, as brothers is a massive role in the, in, the, in the context in which we live. And I'm trusting that as we go through this process of God pulling us together, of God getting hold of our hearts, that we can become the men that we call to be, that our families can become the families we call to be. So the role that the man has to play in the family, in the kingdom, it's a huge role. And we see that right in the beginning, right in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2 where Adam has given a mandate, has given Eve to fulfill that mandate and, and this role that they have to play. So, I found, a, I found an illustration or a metaphor of a role that a man is meant to play. And it's actually a, it's actually a secular program that kind of um, helps marriages. But uh, when I heard this guy talking about this, this metaphor, I just thought, my gosh, is there a better metaphor for this? Because kind of all the scriptures in my head, all the processes in my head kind of came into being, into line. And I thought, actually, if we could get men to be this, actually things will go much better for us. So I want to I talk about that, that metaphor. Um, Listen what Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 9 to 13 says. So what happens is, in Song of Solomon, for those that don't know, is a, is a, is a book written by Solomon, King Solomon. And it's like this full-on erotic love poem in the Scriptures. And um, it's this interaction between the wife and the husband and their friends interject every now and again. And um, in verse 9 of chapter 5, The friends say, ask this, how is your beloved better than others? How is your husband, the one that you love, better than others? Most beautiful of women. The friends ask the wife this, how is your beloved better than others that you can charge us? So tell us, tell us, woman, how how is the man that you love better than others? And this is her answer. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold, his hair is wavy and black as raven. His head is purest gold. I mean his head is purest gold. She 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 looks at his head and says, It's pure gold. I'm thinking, is that his head? Is that his mind? Is that his attractiveness? I think it's probably all of that. His eyes are like doves. She notices his eyes. How often as men do we notice our wives' eyes? We, we look at the glance of a woman. But the woman looks at him and says, His eyes are like doves. Doves are gentle. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of sparse, yielding perfume." His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold like topaz. I love the way she looks at him and she looks at his head and she looks at his eyes and then he looks at his his arms. He looks at his cheeks. You kind of think, she would say, listen, this guy's taken down 10,000. This is why I love him. It's kind of a little different picture that this that this woman sees, and this is the king, this is the king that she's describing. She's describing his masculinity, but not in the way that the world describes masculinity. It's every part of who he is. His body is polished ivory, now we get back into it, polished ivory. If Lefefe was here, I'd say there, that's the example, polished ivory, with a bucket hat, with a bucket hat. exactly. His legs are pillars of marble, He's steadfast and firm. He's strong and capable. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. What comes out of his mouth is sweet to me. This is how she describes this beloved of hers, this man of hers, this king that she's about to marry. This is my beloved. This is my friend, she says daughters of Jerusalem. Isn't it a very different picture to the kind of Rambo man, and the problem is in the world like we live today, we kind of need a little bit more Rambo because men are becoming more like women. So we need a little bit more guns and we need a little bit more shooting and killing stuff. Like, we do that. We need that. And Chris Head says, amen. Let's go hunt. But, but that's not just the only picture of masculinity that the, 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 the scriptures portray. They portray this man that is, whose head is like gold. His eyes are gentle like doves. What comes out of his mouth is sweet. He's strong, he's capable, he's steadfast, and he's a friend. This is the kind of man that this woman is describing. So how do we become this kind of man? How do we become, how do we... And listen, I'm a a kind of an engineer, ex-engineer. So like I like practical stuff. Like I want to know, my big question, my big problem is how. I always want to know how. So I want to kind of give you something that you can get hold of. Something that you can take hold of. That you can see and you can think, Now I can do that. I can become that. This is this, what I'm going to get to you. Genesis chapter 2 is where Adam and Eve are in the garden and God gives them a command he says to them I want you to cultivate and serve this garden I want you to 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 work it and I want you to take care of it I want you to cultivate it I want you to steward it but also I want you to take care of it meaning I want you to guard it and I want you to protect it so we understand this role from there that actually part of a man's role is to guard and protect it's to oversee it's to look out it's to stand in front, and not stand above your family, but stand in front of your family, Timothy says. So that you take it, the family's secure in your shadow and behind you. you get, they get behind you and they're safe and they're secure with you. This is the role of the man. In, in Ephesians chapter five, which is probably the, 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 the ultimate definition of marriage in the Bible, there isn't, you know marriage, there isn't like marriage scriptures in the scriptures, there's just Christian scriptures that, lead you into marriage so all scriptures are for married people and single people and every kind of people but in Ephesians chapter 5 there's this description of Jesus and the church which is a description of marriage husband and the wife so it's kind of the closest thing that you've got to what does a good marriage look like and it says this in verse 21 submit to one another out of reverence for Christ wife submit yourselves to your hu- own husbands own husbands that's important as you do to the Lord for well, the husband is the head of the Christ, wife is, Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. And that word Savior means that, it doesn't mean the husband is the Savior like Jesus is the Savior. It means protector or preserver. So it's like, wives, submit yourselves to the protection and the serving and the preserving of your husband. Wives, put yourself underneath that, put yourself behind that, put yourself in that, So that you can be protected and served. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Look at the role of the husband. To make, to make. See how often it says there what he must do. To make her holy, cleansing her. Make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water and the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church. So he must make her. In the same way husbands um, present her, so make her, cleanse her, present her, holy and without blame. So one of the roles of a husband, of a man, is to make sure that his bride is to make sure society is made holy, cleansed, and washed. And to present her to himself, radiant and without blemish. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body, who loves his wife, sorry, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care, or nourish and cherish, some of the other translations say. So part of the role of a man, part of masculinity's role, is to feed and nourish and cherish. To make grow, it's to steward and serve and guard and protect. The same role that was made in Genesis chapter 2. It's part of the role of a man. Part of the role of a husband, specifically for his wife and his family. To feed and encourage, like it with your own body. Just as Christ does the church, it's the same thing that Jesus does for his church. He takes all our unholiness, he talk, takes all our blemishes, he takes all our uncleanness, And he begins to make us holy, cleans us, washes us, and makes us a radiant bride to present him to himself without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Takes responsibility for that. That's part of the role. And the last time we spoke about ownership and responsibility. As men, we've got to take ownership and responsibility. And as soon as we abdicate that, the snake comes into the garden. The snake comes into the garden. The snake comes into our families. And instead of crushing the head snake, the snake of the head, the head of the snake. What we do is we abdicate our ownership and guess who suffers? It's the family and the kids as husbands and wives don't play their role. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to a wife. The two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect his husband, her husband. Those, that last verse is very love and respect. Very, very, very key words if you want to understand your masculinity. And if you want to understand how we dysfunction as men, which is what I want to get into. Because I think the, 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 the day of, of us saying we, emotionally, we spiritually mature, but actually we emotionally mature are done. I want to bring to our attention today that if you're emotionally immature, you're not spiritually mature. You can't be spiritually mature and emotionally immature, because emotionally immature people affect all our relationships around us, which is not spiritual maturity. It's not big bringing together. It's not a unity. It's not all of those things that embrace and reconcile, and it's the very opposite of that. But I'm going to get to that now. So what you see now is you see the husband... He's got this role to play. He's God. He's protect. He's to contain. He's to hold. He's to preserve. He's to make holy. He's to, it's all these things. He's to cleanse. He's to, the best illustration I've heard for what we meant to be as men, and I think I've said it to one or two of you before in marriage kind of talk, is we the bowl. I want to teach you, I want to to show you what it means to be a bowl. You see, our job, friends, our job, friends, as men, the the masculine heart is to hold and preserve. The masculine way, the the way Jesus has designed us is is to guard and protect. It's to cultivate. It's to allow to grow. It's to get our hands out of the process but be strong enough to hold the space. It's to be a dumb bowl. It's to be a good bowl. So I want to talk this morning about the way of the bowl in a man's life. And I think if you can grab some of these truths, not just unknow them, but begin to put them into practice, your marriage will change for the better. Your marriage will change for the better. Better, You see, a man's job, uh, the, the, the job of the bowl is to create an environment. Your job, your job as a man is to create a space. I call it the greenhouse effect. You create a greenhouse in which things flourish. You will never do that unless you start to take responsibility for what you call to do. Because it's hard. And it's difficult. And you need perseverance and you need patience. You need lots and lots of patience. But you to create, your job is to be the bowl. Your job is to be this resting place for your wife and your family and for society. Your job is to be a place where, where you can just be secure and you can be firm. You can be trustworthy. You can be reliable. No matter how hot the contents are, you stay the bowl. Now how, how matter how heated the argument is, you stay the bowl. The bowl doesn't break under heat. You see the bowl, the bowl is what contains it. It holds it together. It's the greenhouse. Hold the space. As soon as you lose the space, your family will get small. And as soon as you do that, friends, I want to say to you, your wife begins to do that because what she's looking for, what she's looking for is, can I be safe with you? Are my kids going to be safe with you? Am I, I, can I, and as soon as she doesn't find safety, she starts to become the safety. And then she's the bull, and now you've got two bulls fighting each other. Friends, you've got to hold the space. Our job is to love like Christ loved the church, to create the space and hold the space. And you and love the contents of your bowl, to serve the contents of your bowl, to steward the contents of your bowl. In the, in the greenhouse effect, it's to put the right pesticides in and to take the right things out and to put the right amount of water in. That's our job, friends. It's God that makes it grow, but we water and we plant. As men, you are the bowl. Is your wife safe? Are people safe around you if you're a single guy? Are the, are the ladies safe around you? Are you a safe bowl? You're not holding and grabbing onto, but you're holding the space. Simple, solid, Consistent, reliable, safe. Can I just say, if your wife is not safe, goodbye, sex. Sorry, single guys? Wife, I said, not girlfriend. I'm telling you, friends, you cannot have intimacy without safety. You, you, you can't, unless you can hold that space when it's hot, even when it's difficult, it's going to be very difficult. A, a, a woman is designed to give herself, but she can't give herself to unsafety. It's got to be safe. It's got to be emotionally safe. She wants to be heard. She wants to be valued. She wants to feel safe. She wants to know that you are enough for her. You, she wants to know that that's, you, you, she's going to be okay. Even if things are out there, it's okay, but you're there, so you'll be fine. Even if the world is uncertain, you are certain, it's going to be fine. Men, we've got to learn to do this well. He creates a protective, safe environment. Friends, even the most high-powered executive woman that's the MDCO of some company, when she gets home, she wants a bowl to rest in. It's the way marriage has been designed. It's not about gifting. It's not about she's the CEO and you the whatever. You are that in the family and be that in the family. Love for, love for ladies. It says there, love your wife like Christ loved the church. So the way a woman wants to be loved is to be loved like Christ loves the church, sacrificially. It's going to be okay. I know we're fighting, but I'm a bowl. I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to drop you. That's what she wants to know. If you're falling apart, if you're falling apart, she gets unsafe. And I'm not saying that we can't fall apart because we do sometimes. Sometimes. I'm just saying that cannot be the pattern of our lives over and over again. The bowl creates a productive environment, not just a protective environment. It's a productive environment. It's an amazing thing. Ephesians, a Proverbs 31 woman is this incredibly productive executive that is operating on many levels. He creates a productive environment. And because she's, he creates a productive environment, she operates. Because, he's operate, because she operates, he sits at the city gate, the Bible says. He sits at a place of honor because of her production, but her production comes because of his serving and stewarding and cultivating. Men, are we stewarding? Are we cultivating? Are we being the bowl at home? He creates an environment of ownership and responsibility. You take responsibility for being a big good bowl. You can't keep. We can't keep blaming our wives and other people. Because what's happening in the bowl is not what we want. Your job is to be the bowl. Stand firm in Jesus. Hold the ground. Keep the space. Keep your love on. Keep the space wide. I know it's difficult. But Jesus did it for us. That's how I know it's possible. And he did it as a human being, not as God. We don't control the contents of the bowl. You cannot control your family or your wives. Nobody can be controlled by anybody. They can for a moment, but eventually it ends up in revolt and rebellion. Be the bowl. Hold. Hold it steward it in Christ that's why we, our relationship with God is so important Lord Stan how do you do this you you don't know my wife friends nobody's got a unique wife nobody's got a unique family we've all got the same and we all got very similar challenges and there's not, you're not the only one that has faces your challenges. There's many people in the world that face exactly the same challenge. God's thing is be the bowl. Hold it. Keep it. Keep it. Mouth that speaks honey. Sweetness. Eyes like doves. Strong legs. Ivory arms. Strong holding the bowl. Keeping the space, holding the space. Friends, a soup without a bowl is an absolute mess. And I think a lot of marriages are in trouble because it's soup without a bowl, because men are not playing their roles. I think when men begin to play their role, the family begins to form. I don't believe a family will ever be healthier than than, than the father or the husband. I think the father or the husband sets the health of the family because he's the container, he's the bowl. If the bowl is not working, the soup is all over the place. Everybody's in the soup. You see, friends, the church is the soup. Jesus is the bowl. It's the wonder of the gospel that he creates a space for us in which he holds us, he contains us, he sends us his Holy Spirit to guide us. He never controls us. He always gives us choice. Be the ball. Be the ball. When the Bible talks about headship, particularly in our South African version of bossship, we think Boss. So when the Bible says, husband, be the head of the wife, like Christ is the head of the church, we instantly think, that means I'm the boss, which means i make the final call, which means actually you listen to me. Friends, can I just say, try that and see how it works for you. Number one, because it's not what it means. You see, Jesus is the head of your home. Together as a husband and wife, you're trying to hear God for your family. Actually, what I think it means is it means be the bowl. It means lead from below, hold from below, serve from below. I think leading in the kingdom is being the bowl. I think leading any form of leadership in the kingdom is is being a bowl that creates space for people to flourish. How much more husbands with their wives? You see, a a bowl never leads this way. A bowl this way means nothing. But you see, a bowl this way caps their family. A bowl this way spills their family. A bowl this way holds their family. I think if we can become better bowls in Jesus if there is such a thing, our families will flourish. I think the world and where the family goes, so goes the world. If we can, as men, get this into our hearts and say, Jesus, we ne- I need you. I need you to give me the strength to hold my family. Because you see, when, you, when, you, when you're holding your family but not controlling your family, The most important thing that you have in your life is a thing called prayer. Because you can't tell your... You can't control people, but you can petition God and say, God, will you help me hold the contents well? Would you help me steward the contents well? And one of the most important things about this bowl, friends is a bowl can't be a bowl if it's got holes. And this is where I believe God wants to put his finger on our lives. Because I think we try to be good bowls, but actually the holes in our bowls betray us all the time because we're leaking everywhere. Jesus wants men to be wholehearted, healed, and without holes, ho- wholehearted. We need to be able to deal with our own personal leaks and holes. So once we've got the concept, actually, Lord, actually, I'm just meant to be a bold, just hold. Love my family, love my wife, love my community, love the people around me, from a single guy. I'm a bowl. I hold, I hold the single girls. I hold them. They're not my wife yet. They're not, but, but I want to hold them. I want to, I, 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 I don't want to, I don't put my hands on them. I want to hold. I want to create space. I want to create joy and life. And like I said earlier, what we've come, what we've done in the church, I think, generally, is we've excused emotional immaturity while saying that we are spiritually mature. If you're walking with God for a long time and you're emotionally mature, immature, you're actually spiritually immature. Because our spiritual maturity enables us to form our hearts, to be transformed into the image of Jesus, to become like Jesus, to become these people that actually can hold relationships, not destroy them hold marriages not destroy them hold kids not destroy them because of our own immaturities you know what this looks like i've got a couple of statements listen to this you can be a gifted speaker for god in a public in public and be a detached spouse or an angry parent at home spiritual immaturity you can function as a leader and yet be unteachable insecure and defensive Emotionally immature. You can quote the Bible with ease and still be unaware of your reaction and your reactivity. Because we know the scriptures, it doesn't mean you're emotionally mature. And one of the marks of spiritual maturity is a growing maturity in our emotions. Patience, not quick to anger, not quick to speak. It's part of spiritual maturity. You can fast and pray regularly, yet remain critical of others and justifying it as discernment. What about this? You can lead people for God when in reality your primary motive is an unhealthy need to be admired by others. What about another one? You can, hurt, you can be hurt by the unkind comment of a coworker and justify saying nothing because you avoid conflicts at all costs. Spiritual immaturity. You can serve tirelessly in multiple ministries and yet carry resentments because there's little personal time for healthy self-care. And lastly, you can lead a large ministry with with little transparency, rarely sharing struggles and weaknesses. Emotionally immature. And men, men, and I know this is particularly difficult for men, And the reason why is because of this thing called shame. And the way men process that. God has really started to speak to me about this thing of shame and how it works. And and the research has shown that although shame is the same thing, it's different for men. It it, it gets at work differently for men and women. So for men... The spiritual immaturity, this, the spiritual, uh, uh, sorry, this emotional immaturity kind of manifests and it's very difficult to work through and we, we, we God, we step away from it all the time and we make excuses for it and we argue it away and we hide away. And then as soon as people, we get a little bit close to God doing something with us, we leave the church or we leave our friends or we, we do something, we avoid it. And part of the reason is it for that is because of this thing called shame and what men carry in the in the form of shame you see for men shame shame is this for those that don't know it's this kind of this feeling of i've done something or something was done to me that discounts my created value so i'm never good enough i'm never enough i'm 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 a failure it puts you on the outside of relationships because you're an outcast and you put yourself out of there because you never feel like you're good enough or deserving enough to be in there. You're always covering over and covering up your nakedness. In, the, in Genesis, they were naked without shame and then as soon as they sinned, they started, their, they started hiding away from God, covering their nakedness. They were, they were naked with shame. And as soon as we start covering over and masking and doing all these things, we're, we're covering over our shame instead of allowing Jesus to come into our shame, recreating our value so that we can become the bowl and hold people. Because that's what the gospel does. It makes you worthy. It makes you an honored guest of the king. It makes you a holy people through nothing of your own because of what Jesus did. But unless you let the gospel into that weakness, unless you into that spiritual immaturity, into that hurt, into that pain, what happens is it follows you all your life. And you wonder why your bowl has so many holes and you can't hold your family. And all of us have holes at some level, at some point, somewhere. My daughter is an incredibly amazing young lady. But let me tell you what. She can push me over the edge like that. And I've been processing this in God. I'm saying, God, why is it? Why is it? She's the only one in the family that I've got a trigger with. It's like... It's like I can be, she can be sitting there loving me 10 seconds later. (sighs) And we're saying stuff to each other that we shouldn't be. Can I give you a recent example? Friday night. What's tonight? What's today? Saturday. Thursday night. I really apologize to her for this. She comes and she says, "Now she's going to meet this guy, some guy that's a bartender somewhere. (laughs) I'm like, and she's all excited because this guy's phoned her, contacted her. And listen, for her, she's more excited about the fact she's going on a date. It's like it's got nothing, she doesn't want to marry the guy. In my mind, I'm thinking, Natalie, 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 don't go there. Bartender, this guy, I don't know where, where, what, this guy, not your guy. So I express that quite firmly. And she gets up, oh, what do you mean you're so judgy, this thing, that thing. But inside of me, and then it triggers in me even more. So then she comes back and we go back at each other. And I'm like, eventually, I have to go back to the next day. Sorry the way I spoke to you. Please understand. I'm your ball. I don't want some chop marrying you. So when you say that, it triggers this thing inside of me that actually I don't want that because I'm protective about you. And I'm sorry the way I did it, I did it wrongly, but please. But you, but you, you, know, you know what the actual reason is, friends? I feel like I'm failing as a parent. So I realized actually I am protecting her and I am the ball. But actually, part of it is I'm a pastor. We lead a community. You're my daughter. And actually, I don't want to be a failure. That's shame, friends. That is unhealthy. Needs to be dealt with by Jesus. Shame. And if I don't deal with it, disconnect relationally. Now, that's a small, an example that I, we all have our multitude of examples. Failure for men is a massive issue. Fear of failure. Now, friends, I'm talking about it being a bowl, but I'm talking about the holes in your bowl. What are the holes in your bowl? What are the holes? What are the leaks? What are the cracks? That you have over and over again with your wife. That you have over and over again with your work colleagues. You have over and because it's not just in the family, it's in the work colleagues. We get triggered, we get all these sorts of things. I want to tell you, friends, if you're the bowl, you start with you, not with your wife. She can't she can't do anything unless she's got a bowl. Even a half a ball will help. This is what shameful men is. Failure at work on the field in marriage and in bed. Failure on the field. At work, sports field, in marriage and in the bed. Shame. Whole. Being wrong. Being defective. Being soft and not tough enough. In our culture, it's shame. Man has got to be tough, not soft. Shame is being is not being, shame is being that guy that gets pushed around. Shame. As soon as you have that fear, friends, hole in your ball. Because what happens is, especially if you're married to a strong wife and she pushes back, you feel like, hey, hang on, you, you're touching my masculinity. No, she's not. She's just being who she is. Your job to be the ball. Strong. Strengthen up. Allow God to hold you. Showing fear is shameful. And you kind of have this thing, I can't be afraid no matter what. And friends, you can say, yeah, but that's not me. Uh, listen, sit in the pub, get into the change room, and all the O's are pronking, chinning. Hey, this thing, hey, yeah, hey, we just did this, and then, yeah, I just told them this, and I just told him, I stuff you, you know. And we all do it. Instead of just being you, don't have to prove anything. Being perceived as weak. That's why we want to fix it all the time. That's why men have this, and I, you want to fix it, your wife talks to you, you want to fix it. Because if you can't fix it, then you're perceived as weak. Perceived as a failure. Friends, it's a hole in our bowl that we've got to grow up out of. Not being enough. Not being enough. This is how men process shame in the research around shame. And what happens is, you go one of two ways. Brene Brown says this. You go one of two ways when, when you're in this place. Excuse the language. You get pissed off or you back off. You disconnect. You disconnect, you back off or you go into rage, and you get angry. The reason why we're angry at home, friends, because I'm not the only one, is because we carry shame in our hearts. And for men, that's the way they do it. Either they step back and they become emasculated and just keep the peace and keep quiet, or you go into a rage and get angry with everybody. And if you're in either one of those categories, friends, you're not being the bold Jesus has called you to be. You cannot be the bowl Jesus has called you to be. The bowl doesn't get crossed with the contents. The, the bowl doesn't back off from the contents. It holds it. It keeps it. It loves it. See, love for men is being respected. That's why it says in Ephesians, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. There's something in a man that needs to be recognized and respected and what happens is, as soon as we don't get that, you get back from a long trip. And the legs, of the, the legs of the tables are looking sexy. Because you've been away from your wife for two weeks, three weeks. You know the story. No. No. <laughs> you get home. And she's like on her way, and you're like, hey, listen, I mean, flip, it's three weeks, I haven't seen you, like, what's happening here? And what happens is, she's been looking after the kids for three weeks. She's had it up to here, she's got a whole context. And what we do is, because we've got holes in our bowls, we take it as rejection because we're not being recognized and applauded in our sexuality. And we end up in an argument. Another week with no sex. <laughs> Who knows that story? No, nobody, eh? No, no nobody's heard of that. Only me. No, actually not me. And what's incredible is women have this incredible ability to stick their fingers in our holes. (laughs) Nicholas, okay, it is a men's meeting, I suppose you can say that. Holes in the bowls, guys. I've got this unbelievable ability to just, yeah, exactly where it's, ah, and it causes the rage or the disconnect. you know why she does that? Because she's testing to see whether you're safe or not. Can I be safe with you? Are my children safe with you? Are our children safe with you? Women have an unbelievable ability to put, it, put their finger right on the very thing that actually just, uh, and then people come and sit in my office, oh, my wife is just this, I want to just say to the man, take the wife out the office, put the bowl on the table and say, there we go, stop whining and be the bowl. Take ownership and responsibility, do the work in your own heart so that you can contain the love and the goodness that God's given to you in the form of your own family. Her fingers are there because actually God's dealing with you. And so what happens is these moments get taken as rejection instead of actually, hey, actually, maybe it's not rejection. Maybe she's just also dealing with stuff. But when we're carrying holes in our bowls, all that stuff looks like that. And it ends up, we end up in rage or disconnection. We're disconnected from our wives or we're angry at home with our kids all the time. Now listen, I know this is a bit emo, but I want to tell you, friends, this is where it's at. This is why we've got gender-based violence in this country, because men are acting like boys, and because they're not balls. We've got to be a generation of men that know how to hold and to serve our families and our communities and our societies. How do you get rid of your shame? How do you deal with it? Shame hides itself from you, friends. It doesn't want to be discovered because it's too painful. And remember, you've lived with it all your life. You don't know you've got it. You don't know you got it. Whatever that thing is, and it's different for everybody. For some people, they were molested as a kid. For us, some people, they grew up extreme, in extreme poverty and carried the shame of poverty. And so now money always is an issue with them, always an issue, always an issue, carrying shame because of poverty. Jesus was the shame guy. He walked with people with shame. He was in the, in the lives of people. He mixed, he had supper with tax collectors who were shamed. He had supper with sinners and drunkards who were shamed. He, Jesus was the shame guy. He was born into shame as a bastard illegitimate child, and he died in extreme shame and nakedness on the most brutal way that you could die. His whole life came so that actually we would have created value again and begin to form our identities in him. But you can never find your identity unless you deal with the shame in your life. You're always always tripping up. You're always tripping up. You're always tripping up all the time because you never feel like you're good enough. You always feel like you're a failure. Man, God's created value for us Jesus died to put that value back into us, to give us this value back. This is why, friends, and this is a Brené Brown thing, she says, shame, shame is, um, flourishes in secrecy, silence, and judgment. You see, when you go to the cross for forgiveness, you stand before the judge, and he says, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And if you can't receive that because you've done something that you think God can't forgive, I want to tell you you're wrong because God forgave everything. There's nothing that God can't forgive. And maybe what you need to do is just go and share that sin with somebody to get free from it. But shame is different because it's it's like a public thing. It's like in the eyes of people, it's in in the eyes of God. And it's it's this thing that needs to be worked through. It's a it's a process in God that actually needs to be recognized. Truth, the truth of your dishonor, the, the, where shame, where, where honor was robbed from you, or honor was given away from you, value was taken away from you, needs to be identified and recognized and say, that's what it is, that's why I do what I do. It's the process of the renewing of the mind that happens in that process. So secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you keep quiet, friends, the opposite of secrecy, silence, and judgment is sharing confessing grace that's how we deal with it sharing confessing grace you share in a community of men that's why I'm more I'm more convinced than ever communities of men meeting and talking about their stuff is so important because men need to deal with men and we got it it's not weakness and that's the problem. Sharing this stuff, it's like, I'm weak. No, you're not weak. You're courageous. Let Jesus set you free so that you can become, be the bowl that you've been created to be for your husband, for your wife, and your family. And then lastly, I want to do this for us. I want to, I want to challenge you with this. It's something that I've kind of put into practice. So I'm trying to be this bowl for my family. I'm Like this thing, I'm trying to say, Lord, I actually want to be that. I want to be a place of peace. I want to be a place of safety. I want to be a place of consistency. Just always there. I want to be everything that that bowl represents. Productivity, protection, all those things. I want to suggest that you do this. is you create some terms for how you want your bowl to be. What I mean by that is this. i ask the ask this question, how do you show up? How do you show up wherever you, how do you show up with your family, how do you show up at work, how do you show up with your kids, how do you show up with your friends, how do you show up? What is the, when you, when you walk into the room, how do you show up? When challenges come at you, how do you show up? When bills come at you, how do you show up? When business goes bad, how do you show up? Whatever it is, how do you show up? And one of the things that I think is helpful for us as men is to find some words that you take responsibility for. That are your words. So for Jesus, for example... Let me give you the example of Jesus. I think I'm just. So, Jesus has a moment where he gets baptized, and the father says to him, You are my son, whom I love, and with whom I'm well pleased. Those three things my son, love, and I'm well pleased. And I thought, you know what? When Jesus showed up as a bull, he was always those three things, he always acted like a son. Like, this thing didn't just depend on me, like I had a father. I'm not an orphan. I'm not a slave. So he, he lived in his sonship. He didn't, act, he didn't come because he had lack. Whom I love. So he came as a son. He acted like actually he's got resource. He, he, comes, like he, he comes like he's got more than just him pitching. He knows that God, his father's with him. But then he's also, this is the one I love. So when he comes into a situation, whether it's with Pharisees, whether it's a desperate situation, he always comes in love. So love is this. Remember this. This is the best definition of love I think you can have. Love is to live for the best of another. So whenever Jesus operates, he's always living for the best of another. He'd never, he never comes into a context needy. Can I just say that again? He never appears, he never shows up needy. He's loved. I want to say, men, even if your wife doesn't want to have sex with you, you're not needy. Stop being needy. You're loved. Be the ball. Be the ball. Allow God to do it. So whenever he pitches, he always, he always comes with love. He's never needy. He never comes into a situation and it's like, oh, nobody cares about me. He always comes in love. And then the last thing he does, so his words are, son, love, and pleased. Whatever he did, he did in obedience so that it was pleasing to the Father. So when I look at it, his whole life is, Lord, don't, Lord I can't do this. But if it's your will, if, if it pleases you, Lord God, I'll do it. So I think Jesus had this, these terms. This, you could call it a code. He had this code. Son, love, pleased. And whenever he showed up, nobody could ever take those things away from him because they were his things. So if he became needy, that wasn't because, that was because he allowed himself to become needy. My question to us as men of the bowl, what are your three words that when you show up, They can never be taken away from you. You take ownership and responsibility so that when you show up, you are those words. Homework for you. Often, those words are things that you are weak at. I am a natural panicker. I'm an engineer, I've been taught to see risk and to see risk everywhere. I have a, we have a FIPS saying in our house, which I've said a few times before. fipses never panic, they pray, and the fathers make a plan. It's written on everything. That's FIPS. I gave my son a sword at his, at his wedding, it's on the sword. Because we're prone to panic. So my three words are this. When I show up with my daughter, when she's peace. Love, always for the best. Never for the best of me, for the best of them. Love. Never for the best of me, for the best of the church. Never for the best of me, for the best of my brothers. Never for the best of me, for the best of my children. Never for the best of me, for the best of my wife. Never for the best of me, for the best of my family, my friends. And my other word is I've been praying about Lord, give me my three words. My one word is peace. My other word is love. And then my third word is future. I never want to be thinking of just now. When I show up, I want to be taking people to a future. When I show up, I never want to be looking back. When I show up, I don't want to be negative. I have a I have a gift of negativity. I can see a glass half full from a mile away. My wife is exactly the opposite, thank God. But I know my weakness. So when I show up, future. Future in Jesus. I want to ask you, what are your three words? Remember, these are words, these are words. Your wife can't take them from you. If you lose it, you gave it away. You gave it away, not her. She didn't take it. You gave it away. When you lose it at work, you gave it away. These are yours, Lord. When I show up by the gift of your spirit, Lord, help me to live these three words so that I can be the ball. It's a very practical, easy way to understand and to put into practice as soon as you get home, because you'll have a chance to. What are your three words? Some of you got them already. What are your three words? The way you show up? Because I think those three worlds, those three terms, that code, will help you govern the bowl that you call to be. Let's be good bowls, guys. Let's be whole. God's called where you go, your family goes. Where the family goes, the nation goes. Where the nation goes, the world goes. Jesus in you is enough to be a good bowl. Jesus is your bowl. And when you think it's too tough, you lie back in the bowl that is crossed and you rest in him. And you say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, I haven't got strength for this, but Jesus, I I pray that you would give me strength and wisdom right now to help me with whatever the situation is. At work, you're the bowl. Your employees are the contents. A church is an eldership team. We're the bowl. We're holding it. Never want it to crack. What are your terms? Often your weaknesses. Maybe your future. So like I said to you, the way you become whole is in communities of men, particularly men. I think there's about 15 or so people that put their name down in our last man-up moment for our groups that didn't get into our groups because they were full already, but your names are on there and we'll get you into. So part of, part of an our group process is to start talking it's just to start being vulnerable, talking about your stuff to the level at which you are comfortable to talk with and a little bit more maybe. But it's a process. But I want to say to you, friends, you never get free from your stuff unless you've got friends that you can talk to, this, talk to this, these things with and be honest with. I've got friends we talk about our frailties and our failures all the time. Just, this is what I did. I can't believe I did that. I messed up again. I need, have you thought about this? Or People are helping you. The way that you get whole, friends, I'm going to read a text now because this is part of the way you get whole. But one of the ways you won't get whole without community. You need deep, you need friendships. I'm trying, I'm trying to ask God, Lord, what does it for a community of men that intentionally but informally that can meet together and connect with each other? Not because it's a church program and I told you to but because you know you need it. Get together with two or three mates and put a date in the diary every, three, every month that you're going to sit down and you're just going to talk. How are you doing? And ask the questions. How's your marriage? How are your children? How's your business? How's your emotional health? How's your sex life? How are your finances? Ask the big questions. Like it's not rocket science. That's one of the ways that you get whole. One of the ways that you start to process getting whole. One of the other ways that you do is, the, is, this, is this thing of the, this code that I'm talking about, those three words. Because unless you start to put it into practice, you lose it. You will walk out of here and tomorrow you're back into, and we'll be at next man up with the next thing. Like you need to get before God and say, God, give me those three words that I keep, I keep messing up on because I don't want to give that away. I want to under Christ Give me the strength and the wisdom to know why I'm failing at that so I can talk to my brothers about it. But then actually when I encounter those moments and I mess up, remember you grow by messing up. Stop looking at failure as being that's the way we grow. So when you mess up, you realize I gave that away. I had to go to my daughter yesterday and say, Natalie, I'm sorry. I got fearful. There was a moment, I'm feeling sick, I've been running to the toilet every five minutes, and actually I just lost it for a moment there. I'm sorry. I gave it away. I didn't bring peace into the context. I put an argument into the context. And then thirdly, I was reading this this morning. I, just, I know we finished now. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. This is what it says. It says, Let us run up with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before Him, so for the joy set before Him because of what was coming, He endured the cross. He endured the pain. He endured the agony. He enjoyed the sacrifice. Scorning its shame. What that means is, Jesus shamed shame. Because of what was before Him, He endured scorning and despising and shaming the shame that was his on the cross and sat down at the right hand of the Father. You see, friends, the way you become a whole bowl, run with perseverance the race, the purpose that God has for you. It's part of becoming whole. If you're running purposeless, your, whole, your bowl will never hold its thing. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. He is the perfecter and the finisher. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You want to become whole, fix your eyes on Jesus. For the joy is set before Him. See the joy, the future that God has for you and scorn your shame. Shame the shame so that it no longer has a hold on you that you can become the person you're called to be. And then it says, And then he sat at the right hand of the Father. Take our place of honor and authority. I wish I could give you, I wish I could take you through a course of three weeks, eight weeks, and then this would all be dealt with. But it wouldn't be. Because it's a process that God wants to deal with you in community as you learn to walk with him so that you can become this whole ball. And that's why you need help from your brothers. Ask for help from your brothers. Every single one of the elders are available all the time. Just a phone call. Hey, Flip, I need help. I need a perspective. Not that we got all the answers, but can give it a go.